Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. <clears throat> Excuse me. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Now into Hebrews, starting at verse 1 of chapter 11, I'm going to read all the way down to verse 27. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that had foundations whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, she, and since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of the sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to call them their God, to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who has received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac involved, invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ 
greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, as we just gather before your word this morning, as we look at what it means to journey through this life in faith, having faithfulness within that, and what that really looks like and means, I pray that you would open up our hearts and you would open up our minds, that we would walk through this chapter especially, and we would see what it means to be called yours, to be living the life that we are supposed to, to trusting you, to understanding that you are faithful even when sometimes it doesn't look like you're even listening, but you are faithful. We thank you for that, Lord. We see that in your son, Jesus. Father, I pray as we are before you this morning as well for all those who have served in our armed forces over the years, from the very beginning of this country until this moment. Thank you, Lord, for those who are a part of this body, for those who even right now serve and are being prepared to be deployed and going overseas. I think far too often our cynicism and our sarcasm, Lord, it blinds us to the sacrifices that other people make so that we can be comfortable. I think it blinds us to the notion that everybody lives like us and it puts us in a position of pride instead of humility. I am thankful, Lord, for all those who have decided to serve who stand in the gap where I could never do. But in their doing so, they allow me and every one of us here to live the life that we live. That is seen ultimately, Lord, I think, in your son Jesus, who was born in order that he may die, only so he could live again so that we could have life everlasting. For everyone that's sick here in this body today, Lord, I pray your blessing upon them. For Jeff, for Flossie, for a whole bunch of people I leave before you, Lord, just even too many to name. For those that are unspoken that just need your tender care and your touch. We lift them up to you, Lord, and we we thank you that you hear our prayer. May you bring healing. May you bring comfort and peace. Lord, we give you all the praise and all the glory. Open up your word now as we enter into the scriptures. For Jesus' sake, and in his name I pray. Amen. Okay. Title of the message this week, Faithfulness, if you didn't pick up on that theme going through Hebrews 11. Um, And I even did it right on the PowerPoint this week. Last week, I freaked Melissa out when I put up the wrong words on the PowerPoint. It didn't match the bulletin. You'll have that on occasion. It's all right. But we're going to be taking a look at faithfulness as we move through this this morning. And I just want us to unpack a big piece of scripture. And what I want us primarily to take away as we just go through this today is that faithfulness as a fruit is probably one of the most important. It's one of the most important. Because our life itself is a journey. And it's our journey. Our journey of faith. And one which we have to pass on. See, this is the rub. We have to pass on that journey of faith to generations that follow us after. It's not a one-off deal and then we hope somebody else catches it. To do what we know is right 
even though we might not see the end, is part of what being faithful is all about. Looking towards the future and knowing that that's where the Lord has us to go. And we head that way knowing full well that our journey is going to end somewhere along the way. That's why it's important that to have faith and to be faithful in the midst of all of these things, to pass it down to the next generation. We don't keep it to ourselves. So George MacDonald in 1868 said the following, We have yet a work to do, my friends, but a work we shall never do aright after ceasing to understand the new generation. Read that again. But a work we shall never do aright after ceasing to understand the new generation. We are not the men, neither shall wisdom die with us. The Lord hath not forsaken his people because the young ones do not think just as the old ones choose. The Lord has something fresh to tell them and is getting them ready to receive his message. When we are out of sympathy with the young, then I think our work in this world is over. Far too often as we age, and I find myself doing this, far too often as we age, we begin to forget that we were all young once too. At some point in the distant past or in the near past, we were young ones. We didn't know much, even though we felt we knew it all. Some of you who have children understand what that means. If we think back long enough, we remember when we were far smarter than we are right now. We were at the beginning of a journey, each one of us at some point in life, where our maps were small, where our understanding was small, but our courage was big, and our dreams drove us in everything that we did. We just didn't understand that we can't do this was supposed to be part of our vocabulary. We can never lose that, ever. Being in Christ started at some point for each one of us here who have received the work of grace in our lives. We had a beginning point. Taking up the banner of the gospel, as it were, for the cause of Christ in this world and in the sphere of influence where he has set us down. And we began to advance the gospel in those early days when it was we were gathered before him. Faith, by definition, <clears throat> excuse me, is complete trust in someone or something. <clears throat> And sometimes having faith like a child is the best way to have it. Because when we get older, we think we're much smarter. And our faith tends to wane just a little bit. Now, it's also defined this way in the English Oxford Dictionary. It says that faith or faithfulness is a strong belief in the doctrines of a religion based on spiritual conviction rather than proof. I would have to fundamentally disagree with that. I'm not a smart man, but I did take three years of 10th grade English, so I would have to disagree with that. And I disagree with that for this reason. Faith without proof is nothing more than a fool's errand. It's a chasing after the wind, as the writer to Ecclesiastes tells us. Faith without proof is a waste of time. Faith by nature is belief in something or someone unseen. We have to acknowledge that fact. But that doesn't mean that there is no proof for that faith. It doesn't mean we're just believing in silliness. So I have a deep faith that my wife, Lisa, loves me. How do I know that? Because the proof is seen in what she does, how she acts, how it is she responds to me in the day-to-day -day living of life, how she doesn't throw me out of the house when she probably ought to quite often. 
You see, faith as it relates to the Bible is not a faith in unprovable things or even a faith in a nice fairy tale. It's not even close. Faith is rooted deeply in something. The writer to Ecclesiastes says this, and I think it's a really good thing for us to hang our hat on because it pops the balloon of pride where we think we have to know everything. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. You see, we can't know everything. We're not supposed to know everything. There are mysteries in this world that we will not know. As smart as we are, as much as we know to get us to the moon and back, to the Mars planets and all the other ones beyond that and back, to know all of that stuff, we still can't figure out how a spirit shows up in the womb of a mother and becomes the child that we are and that our child is. We just know that it happens, and we believe that it happens because we see it. But that doesn't mean that we can't know anything, and that's the danger as well. It doesn't mean that we can't know anything. You see, the fruit of faithfulness is cultivated first and foremost when we walk out our faith journey before God. Faith is grown when it is tested and when it is tried, not when we are sitting at home in the living room watching our TV all day long, hoping that the Lord will take care of everything for us. No. No, faithfulness is cultivated first and foremost as a fruit when we walk out, as I said, that faith journey before God in this world, growing in faith in him each step along the way. Why? Why do we have to do that? Because we see the evidence of him at work within our lives on that faith journey. We see his hand upon the things that happen, upon our circumstances, upon our calling, upon the safety that after something bad happens, we can look back and understand that God had his hand upon these things. That grows our faith because we see him working sometimes even in the mundane. See, and this is what, why the writer to the Hebrews starts chapter 11 as they do. We have to understand that faith is the substance of things hoped for. I had to go all the way back to the King James to get it right for this one. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Then the writer proceeds to take us on this long journey of faith through the roles of history and through those faithful people who each and every day believed without seeing but understood that God was faithful. They knew without a doubt because of the evidence that they had been seeing in their life up to that point, God was and would continue to be faithful every time he told them to do something, even though they didn't have the answers to everything. It's a beautiful chapter that unpacks itself here as it takes us back all the way to the beginnings of things, if we observe it enough, and we discover that faithfulness comes together with trust to believe that God, our creator, desires the best for all of his image bearers. Not up there with a divine taser trying to teach us how to do things, but he desires absolutely the best for his image bearers because he starts out where? With Abel. All the way back in the beginning of Genesis, Abel at the outset offered a better gift. Was he trying to one-up his brother Cain? No, he simply offered a better gift. He was seen more righteous than his brother. Why? Because it's a heart issue. It was a heart issue. Cain held back because He didn't think it was that big of a deal. Abel knew better. And by faith, he trusted God with his absolute best. Because he knew that if he gave God his best, he would take care of everything else. And as a result, though dead, he still speaks to us today. So many thousands of years on in our journey. 
Enoch, that unique and weird person that just kind of blips across the pages of Scripture. We see him a little bit in Genesis. We see him a little bit here in the right, in, where the writer to Hebrews tells us about him. We know almost nothing at all about this man. Almost nothing at all. Look him up. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found. Why? Because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. That's a good way to go out. If we're remembered for nothing else, that's a good way to be remembered. I pleased God. How do we know he pleased God? Well, the writer here in in verse 6 unpacks it for us because it's very helpful when we see this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if we think on it for a minute, Enoch was a faithful man because he pleased God. Without faith, you can't please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faithfulness really is faith in action. It's just faith in action. I believe, therefore I will obey. And God was pleased with that. And this is a key verse for us, verse 6, because it tells us a lot. And a few things that it really tells us is, number one, faith itself is what pleases God. Our faith in him is what pleases God. Number two, faith causes belief. And belief confirms our faith. Faith causes belief. And belief confirms our faith. Why? Because we put action to what it is we believe. Faith drives us to seek him, number three, who we cannot see, because through what we can see, we know that God exists. I'm not talking in circles. He has left us enough evidence to know that he is real, but not enough that we can do without him. Thus faith. Thus faith. People don't believe in things just willy-nilly. At least I hope they don't, but I'm starting to wonder as I turn the news on every day. But people do not believe in things just willy-nilly. We believe because of what we see. There's some sort of substance behind it. Even if what we fully believe in cannot be completely seen, comprehended, and understood. We got Noah, that poor guy who builds a boat in the middle of the darn desert and it hadn't rained. There's a There's a real good story for you as everybody walks by picking on him. But he believed. And he was faithful even when it seemed absolutely foolish to do so. You don't think he was bullied on the playground of school, do you? What are you doing, you idiot? Why are you building the boat? There's no water anywhere. And yet he did it. Why? In reverent fear. In reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world. And he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Oh, that's familiar, isn't it, from our Habakkuk time? The righteous live by his faith. Part of it's our own. Part of it belongs to the Lord. He motivates us on. We turn here to the father of all faith journeys, Abraham. You see the progression that's going on here? This writer is building up for us the entire story of the people of Israel. He's going somewhere. Abraham was the father of the faith journey. He was told to go and he went. He was a pagan guy who worshipped all kinds of different gods from Ur of the Chaldees. He heard the voice of the Lord. The Lord told him to go and he went. This event alone to me is the hinge of history. Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through 4. Study it, read it. The covenants begin there. The journey of faith for every human being begins with Abraham. The story of the people of Israel is launched there. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. 
Who likes to leave the house during the day or at night on a road trip with a point it south and we'll let you know when you get there kind of attitude? Not me. Nobody does that. We need a map. We need an end point. We need all kinds of instructions. He was told, go. And his faith journey for the people of God turned into the salvation of all humanity. He lived in the promised land before it actually belonged to him. Because that's what the Lord said would happen. Why? Because he went out in faith, knowing that there was something better with God than there ever could be where he was sitting. I could stay in Ur of the Chaldees. It's one of the most advanced cities in all the world at this point. I'm a merchant. I have all kinds of money. Not an issue at all. But he knew that with God into the backwoods of Hillbillyville, because that's really where he was going. There was nothing going on in Canaan. That's not where it was at. But it was better there with God than it was in the place where all the action was. His faithfulness to do was driven by his faith in the one who called him to do it. He trusted the Lord. In verse 10 of chapter 11, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. That's not who designed and built Ur of the Chaldees. That's why he was able to leave. Faith in the unseen future, living in the dynamic tension of the now and the not quite yet. We don't have the answers for everything. Can we be faithful in the midst of that? Because each one of us is on the exact type of faith journey in this life. Don't think for a minute we aren't. We have and we know the promises of God preserved for us in the scriptures and that they all have found their fulfillment in this person, Jesus of Nazareth, who is the risen king. How do I know that? I didn't see him rise. No, I didn't. But there is proof. Others saw him. Others wrote it down. Others told people And then they journeyed through faith until they were taken, either by martyrdom or by natural causes. But they journeyed by faith at that point, and they told people what had happened. And that's why I'm here today. If you are in Christ, that is why you are here today. Faith is believing without seeing, but not without evidence. The statement of the world that anybody that believes the Bible has emptied their head of all intelligence is a false statement. I don't believe in fairy tales. And I have never seen a 51-year-old person come to faith in Santa Claus. There's something fundamentally different with this book that's going on here. There's evidence-based stuff that allow me to exercise faith in things that I can't see. Therefore, I believe and I trust. And that's what we are hoping that all of us do. Our faith is not without evidence. God is in in Christ Jesus. We see the one who is ultimately faithful to all things. And it's his faith or his faithfulness to the covenantal promises of God which grow us on our journey of faith in this world. Because he is faithful to his promises. We can trust that when he tells us that we have to exercise that faith, we're not going down a road we shouldn't go down. No matter what we've faced, no matter what we deal with every day, 
no matter what we've been through, no matter what you might be struggling with right now, no matter what is, is just causing you to have issues at this moment in time, that you're trying to work out, that you're still wrestling with today, God is faithful to work all of it out for his glory and for your benefit. That is what his deepest desire is. Sarah would say so. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who promised. She considered him faithful who promised. Her faith to conceive is directly tied to her belief that God would do as he promised her he would. I find that interesting. Action on her part was necessary. It wasn't just going to happen, even though it was God's sovereign plan to happen. It seems to me here that she needed to exercise faith to move the ball a little bit down the road. That's what it looks like to me. Which says to me that when it comes to this journey, we don't just sit back and let God take care of everything. We have things we're supposed to do in the midst of that, in trusting him. She considered him faithful who promised her. Faith that is evidence-based even when we can't see how it would work. Therefore, from one man, this is what happened because she exercised her faith. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead. Remember, he was a geezer at that point, a good hundred years old. She was 90. Not really, you know, two people you'd think be starting a family, right? Therefore, from one man, and the writer of the Hebrews gets this too, him as good as dead. We're born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, as many as, as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. I, I think it's beautiful. You see, the fruit of faithfulness cultivated on the journey of faith, which culminates with Sarah believing for a son. She receives that son. And because of that faith, the entire world is blessed. You see how it just keeps going from generation to generation? You see, so, so the hinge here in chapter 11, it seems to me, at least in part, is verse 13. These all died in faith. Well, there's an encouraging word. At least I think it is. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. It seems like the person's a little confused. I thought you said they didn't see them, but you say they did see them. Well, God leaves enough evidence that we can believe, that we can know. Having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, the story continues. We're looking for a city whose architect and builder is God. You see, the faith journey that we are on each and every day with whatever we are dealing with is much the same. I say that over and over again because we need to get that in here and in here. We are not on a different journey. We are walking in the now and the not yet of God's promises, in the dynamic tensions of unanswered questions, in a world that is really confused. But because he has fulfilled every single one of the promises that he has made down through the ages and down through time, our faith is placed on a firm foundation. We have the capacity and the ability to be faithful. You see, the covenantal seal is Jesus. The covenantal seal 
is this little Jewish carpenter from a podunk town in the north. And chapter 12 and verse 1 starts with, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, not here's a couple of people who are going to run out like a circus. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to who? To Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Faithfulness as a fruit is so very important for us to get a hold of and to let grow in our life. Faithfulness, in fact, is our journey. It's our living every single day in Christ, trusting that God's going to take care of us. What do you have for me today? And we have to pass that faith on to each and every generation. See, if you've got another generation that looks at the church that has no power, that really doesn't believe in the book, that really doesn't believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that really doesn't believe that he can dynamically change this world, why on earth would anybody listen to what you have to say? It's not worth faith if it is emptied of its power. If it is emptied of who Jesus is, we are called to pass on to the next generation. But here's the rub. For all of you young people who think the old people aren't getting it right, first and foremost, none of us are getting it right. If we would understand that each one of us is the biggest problem we have to face each day, we won't be so hard on the other. I was a lot smarter at 18 than I am now at 51. I'm just going to say that. And for a good Six or seven years when my four kids were growing up, it's a wonder I could get out of bed and tie my shoes. According to them, they didn't even know how I got to work in the morning. So, back to here. Each one of us is on a different segment of our journey. But we need to make sure that we are passing it on to each generation. You as a young person have to decide at this point, are you going to pick up that banner? Are you going to hear what is taught to you? Are you going to take up the cross? Are you going to follow Jesus? Are you going to step into a world that's very dark, very confused, and very lost? Are you going to step out into that and say, I have an answer to that? I believe this. That's why I started with McDonald's quote. It is not our duty to shut down the next generation. I turned the corner and realized that I am not the young man that I used to be. I'm not old, old, but I'm not young. And if we are not careful, we hit a certain point in our lives where we shut young people down because we don't like what they have to say, because we are uncomfortable with what they have to say, and we don't think they have an answer. We can't do that. Again, McDonald's quote is so important. Perhaps if we hear what a young person has to say and we remind ourselves that I was there at one point, I was there at one point. And instead of shutting them down, perhaps we encourage. Perhaps we say, well, let me tell you a little bit about what I've learned on my journey. As opposed to going, you know what, that's just wrong. You need to do it this way. Be quiet, move on. It doesn't work. It has never worked. It has never worked. And if you are young, be patient with those of us who are not anymore. Because we do know a few things. We have bled on a few hills that you will never have to. Allow yourself 
to be mentored. But I come back at all of us older folks. Allow yourself the humility in your spirit to mentor. Don't be a generation of tellers where we're just going to tell people how it is. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. It's always a choice for us to grow forward or die on the vine. Every one of us. Each generation. Make no mistake about it. Both of these are faith choices. Move forward, die on the vine. They're both faith choices. It's just what are you putting your faith in? That's the biggest thing. Are we going to be a part of helping somebody move forward? Or are we going to be a part of helping somebody die on the vine? What are we going to do? One is faith in ourselves and in our comfort zone and in what we like and what we want and our choices and how we think things ought to be. Eventually, that dies on the vine. I hope that nobody comes along that's just like me. Goodness knows the world can barely handle one fool like me. We don't need a second one. Point being, I don't have all the answers. The faith journey, the other one, is a radical notion of dying to ourselves and our desires. And living for God who calls us to lives of sacrifice and service. We are not called to get our way. I've said this for years. I don't think I've said it for a long time here. But the Bible teaches me that I have one right in life. And that is the right to die. Die to myself and to live for Christ. And then he will make me exactly what it is he wants me to be. You see, whatever gift he has given you, whatever place he set you down, because we've got to end this before people just go into pre-lunch nap time. Whatever gifts he has given you, whatever place God has set you down in, whatever age you find yourself in, get to work. We need to remember that we see here in Hebrews 11 that faith is once given to all of the saints. It is always handed off to the next generation by the faithful saints who are journeying. We see this in Paul encouraging Timothy in what is probably one of his last letters that he ever wrote. He says to the young pastor, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of what? Many witnesses entrust to faithful men and women and women who will be able to teach others also. In other words, pass it on. Don't keep it to yourself. Allow the next generation to blossom and bloom the way they're supposed to. You teach the scriptures, and you let them take it the way they're supposed to take it. Hebrews 11 continues, and I would recommend that at some point today or tomorrow that you would unpack it, and you would just read through it very slowly and see what God does through his people. He's continuing to do it today. There's so much more there, and we just don't have the time for it. There's so many more people whose journey of faith would allow us to be here today. Do you think that Timothy heeded the advice of Paul? I hope so. Because we're here. Somebody somewhere heeded that advice and trusted the next generation that they would carry that banner and they would carry that torch. And the younger generation took the time to listen to the older generation say to them, these are the things that are critical and important. Now you launch out into the world, it's now your task to teach people about who this Jesus is. Help them understand that faith is never absent evidence. We don't just believe fairy tales. 
And that's seen most especially in the journey of Moses as he took the people of Israel out of Egypt. Raised in the king's palace. Walked away from it all. Prince of Egypt. Decided that he wasn't going to do that. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. Gave up all the kingdoms of the world in order that he could walk with the one who he knew was real, even though he couldn't actually see him. I'll just close with this. Trying to work this out in my head. Our faith is a gift that God gives us. But it doesn't just happen. There has to be action on our part in order to make it our faith. And that comes through the faithfulness that we have to do what God tells us to do, however small or however big it may be. The sovereignty of God pours faith out into people in order that we can believe. And it just seems to me that there's a part that we have to play in the midst of that. And that is cultivating the fruit of faithfulness to do what it is he gives us to do. Because it's pretty clear to me that the plan of God for the salvation of this entire world only happens through his people. Willing people on a faith journey who will look at him, although unseen, and say, if that's where you want me to go, I'll go. He then works that faith in you. At the same time, you're working it out by the things that you do. We cultivate faithfulness by obedience to do. It's directly tied to our faith in Christ. We believe that God is faithful to his promises. We journey each day that way. We have to. The worship team could come at this point. And if we are walking rightly, if we are walking rightly, and this is a challenge for all of us, even if you're young, this is a challenge for everybody. If we are walking rightly, we are passing on to the next generation the promises of God through kindness, through mentoring, through gentleness, through encouragement, and through the, no, the boldness, as it were, to know that none of us, frankly, are going to be here to see all the fruits of our labor. And I'm not being morbid. I know that there will come a point where I will have relations in my family that I won't see, but I pour in nonetheless. We all have that. As parents transition, they have passed on. We will at some point as well. We will not see all the fruits of our labor, but with the saints of Hebrews 11, we will see from afar that we can and must and we need to leave the faith that was once given to all in the hands of those who will pick up the banner because he is faithful. If we will just be faithful in the midst of whatever he challenges us to do each 
and every day. Just stand for a moment of silence as we just prepare for one last song. I could have the prayer teams just those of you who are here if you could just take your place I want to challenge you as I've been challenged this week to just search your heart Ask the Lord about the places when it comes to your faith in Him because of the circumstances you may find yourself in. That that faith is wavering. That you sometimes wonder what it is He's trying to do. I want to encourage you. Listen to the words of this song. If you are stirred to respond. We have people that are willing to pray with you, that want to pray with you, to encourage you to come before the Lord. I would ask that we would all just, just focus on the words of this song, sing them out to the Lord, allow our hearts to be ministered to by His Holy Spirit, not to just check the box of having been here in church today and then go about our business as if nothing's been said or happened. Ponder these things. God is calling us to be faithful in the midst of a faithless generation. And he knows that you are gifted because he has gifted you. Can you be faithful to step into what he's calling you to? Father, speak to us in and through this song and in the quietness of our heart. If we are in need of prayer, give us the boldness to step out. We are in a good place to come before you this morning. The altar's open if you need it. Just rest here. In Jesus' name.